0: And I completely understand that this sermon is not going to make me many friends. I've uh, accepted that early on in the week. That what God's shown me here and what I've been looking at through the week is is a challenging sermon and a challenging uh, place that I think the church is in right now. I met with um, one of the guys in the city who knows a lot of church leaders, and he said to me on Saturday morning that, that churches are hurting in a big way at the moment. And when he said that, there was tears in his eyes, but he didn't say it like churches don't have enough money or there's not enough people. He said it like the body of Christ is confused at the moment and a little lost. And that sort of echoed something that I'd already been walking in and I'd already been taking time to think through but he's right that there's so much of the body of Christ at the moment that is is confused and is challenged and is not sure how we should or if we should or where we should or what this should look like or that should look like and i was praying during the week just saying god what what is happening what are we doing here what 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 is taking place why are people so frazzled and so so disjointed when the the world's been through bigger problems than COVID-19. The world's been through bigger things than what we're kind of standing in right now. But there's this wrestle in the spirit with so many people, especially people who have been in in church for so long going, I don't know if I even want to be a part of this anymore. I don't know if I really believe in Jesus anymore. I don't really know what it is. I just, I don't know. And last Sunday we had... had, um, Dave bring a cracking sermon that challenged me. Um, it challenged me the way he brought it. It challenged me the way he, he spoke. It, it challenged everything in me as I was sitting there and listening. But during worship, I felt like something was taking place. I felt like we were there was a war in the spirit. There was a wrestle going on. And I said last Sunday that there's something happening here where, where we're worshipping something else. We're putting something above God. And we prayed for people and it was great and, and some people uh, felt some freedom and, and walked away. But during the week, I kept saying to God, what was that? What was taking place? What was really happening while we were worshipping? And I felt like God said this to me. And it's something that I've been trying to put words to for quite a while. I've been trying to explain. But he, he, he said to me, you were wrestling yourselves. You were fighting with the biggest enemy that us as a people will ever wrestle with, and that's pride. We were wrestling with the worship of ourself over the worship of a king, the king. And I said this morning that this sermon is not going to gain me any friends because I'm going to poke the bear, or in this case, the sea monster, because we need to do that. We need to poke this thing. We need to realize as a church, as a people, there's something bigger going on. And I believe strongly, I normally wouldn't say this if I didn't really feel it, but I believe that there's something this morning that is going to take place in the spiritual realm when this word gets released. Is that because I'm a special human being? No. I've been shaking all week thinking, God, I don't know how to explain this. I don't know how to put this in words where people can actually understand it and take hold of it. I don't know how to explain this in a way that says this is where we need to be going as a people or we're going to go nowhere. The church at the moment is on a brink, on a brink of people leaving. And I don't mean a Sunday service. I mean people shipwrecking their faith to say I've come so far, but I've had enough and I don't want to do this anymore. When when the Bible talks about shipwrecking your faith, it's about throwing away everything God's given you, everything that you've been promised, everything that you've seen, because we can't seem to get past whether or not it's better for me or if it's better for, for everybody around me. We look inwardly because it's the easiest thing we know how to do. I was talking with a friend during the week and he said to me hey do you do you think that the church in the west in australia would be able to handle the persecution that china going through right now and right off the bat i was like not a chance not a chance if you don't know china at the moment the leader xi xi jinping is challenging The faith of Christianity in the biggest way we've seen in a long time. Taking crosses off churches, making them put up photos of him inside the churches, making people worship. They are being squeezed so tightly. And I watched a video during the week where the Chinese people, their reaction to that was this. We're going to get up earlier than we've ever got up before. We're going to gather with our brothers and sisters and we're going to worship the King." That's their response. Their response to extreme persecution is extreme praise, is extreme worship, is extreme declaration of the king and the promises that he gave. That's their response. So I started thinking through, what would my response be to that? What would my response be in that position? And God started highlighting me. I already showed you what it was. You whinged and you carried on that we couldn't meet together. You cried out, we're being persecuted, it's hurting us because we don't get our rights anymore. We don't this anymore, we don't that anymore. That was me. I thought I would have been a hero just like they are in China. I would have I would have gone and risked my life, woken up early at three o'clock in the morning to go and pray in an underground place so that no one would find me. I put myself in that position and God right there showed me my pride. I gave you an opportunity and you dropped it. So I said, Okay, God, show me. Show me an example of how to walk through this. And he takes me to Job. And as soon as I turn to Job, I'm like, I don't want to read this.
1: I've read it so many
0: times before, and I know what you're going to say to me. I know, God, what you're going to show me in this. And it's too hard, it's too much. But we went on the journey anyway. I read it and I read what God was saying. And you know, the interesting thing about Job is that Job, if you haven't read it, he walks through this immense persecution. He gets in this incredible place. He's he's an upstanding, righteous man of God. If there was a hero in the faith at the time, it's Job. He does everything that God asks him to do. He's a superstar. Satan says to God, the, the deceiver says to God, God, if he really loves you, Let me take everything from him and see if he still loves you. God says, okay, do it. And the interesting thing with Job is that Job goes through persecution after persecution after persecution. He loses everything. And the biggest wrestle Job has is with himself. And his friends come along and his friends tell him this, and this is where we are at. Job, you're an uprighteous, upstanding righteous man of God. You shouldn't be in this position. And for a moment, For a moment, Job enters that place and he starts to have self-pity on himself. Hey, I am the upstanding righteous man of God. God, did you get the right guy? Me, Job, I'm the right upstanding guy. And you read through that story, I read to it and I go, but God, he was the righteous man. This shouldn't have happened to him. He had every right to whinge and complain. He had every right to say, God, why me? I was the good man. I was the good guy. Why me? He had every right to whinge and complain. He had every right to have pity on himself. But God said, have faith in me, Job. Have faith in me, Job. And I promise, I promise I'll give you everything you were always going to get. And Job gets to this position, Job gets to this place where he drops to his knees. He says, God, I don't understand. God, I don't get it. It makes no sense to me. This pain and this suffering, this place I'm in, it makes no sense to me. I was the righteous man. But God, I trust you. You see, Job beats the battle with pride. He beats the wrestle. He gets to a position where he says, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about how good I was. It's not about the pain I've walked through. It's not about the place of being in. It's about you, Lord. It's about who you are. And you are worth it. And you are worthy. And he tears his clothes. He brings himself to the ultimate place of vulnerability. He tears himself. He says, I've given it all. God, everything's been taken from me. And even this. Even the clothes on my back, I'll tear for you. I'll give you everything. I've said this so many times, but when we worship, we sing these songs. We sing these songs that are so amazing. We give ourselves over. We offer everything that comes up. Lord, it's all yours. It's all yours. Until he puts us in a position that makes us feel uncomfortable. And then we really have to start to think, I shouldn't have sung that song. I shouldn't have offered him everything. Because like Job, he gets to that place where he goes, Lord, this really is all yours. Even this shirt on my back, I'll tear it off for you. God takes Job on a journey. Takes him through and he shows him the creatures. He shows him the earth. He shows him everything. He says to Job, look at my splendor. Look at what I've created. Look at how amazing and powerful I am. Look at everything that I've done, Job. Trust me. Trust me in this. And Job in his complete vulnerability in his complete left of nothing says, okay, God, I'll trust you. I'll trust you. At the very end of Job, in Job 41, 33 to 34, he says this, On earth there is not his like, a creature without fear. He sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. He's talking about the enemy that he wrestled. Job, in this place of persecution, in this place of being beaten and being battled, he realized it wasn't God that I was fighting. It wasn't God being a nasty God to me. It wasn't, it wasn't him who was hurting me. There was a creature, there was an enemy that I was fighting, and I realized there's only one way that I can beat this enemy. Humility. He realizes at the very end, it never was about me. It was about a battle between the king of glory And the enemy of darkness. And I was caught in the middle. But God promised me everything. And I can trust him. And he'll bring me into the fullness. He sees everything that is high. And he is the king of the sons of pride. There is an enemy right now. That is ripping apart the church. Is ripping apart a people who love the King, because we can't see past ourselves. And you know, the hardest thing is is that Job was in the right place. He was the upstanding, righteous man of God. He was in the right place, but he couldn't see past that error until God revealed it to him. Job, look how splendorous I am. Look how big I am. It's not about you, Job. But leave it with me, and I'll make it all about you. Leave it with me, Job, and I'll bring you to a position that you never thought you'd be in. We know the end of the story. Everything gets restored. Job goes back into a place that he now has challenged me can trust. But what we tend to do is get to this place where we keep looking at ourselves. But God, what about me? God, what about me in this? I don't really like hanging out with Dan, yet I have to go and hang out with him every day. I don't really like spending time with him, yet I have to lay hands on him and pray for him. I'm doing well and he's struggling, and yet I've got to sit and listen to his struggles when quietly I'm doing really well. I have to read this book that says, do this differently and change your life. I don't want to change. I'm doing pretty good. I'm living pretty good. I haven't sinned in a while, and I haven't done this in a while. Why should I have to change? I work really hard. I put in things. really. I put in good effort. I'm a good dad. I'm a good this. I'm a good that. Why should I have to change? Because God's calling us into more. God's calling us into something bigger. God's calling us to say, I've got something so much more for you. But if you can lay yourself down, I promise I'll bring you into more and to more. Because if you carry that pride where I'm going to take you, you're going to rip everything apart. sitting at my desk, just weeping, going, God, I don't know how to do this. And I felt God say, good, good. Because then you won't try to do it. I'll do it. Job gets to that place and tears his clothes. God, I don't know how to do this. It's simple, Job. Give me yourself. Give it to me and I'll do it for you. This is so hard for me because I'm looking around at churches. I'm looking around at people who gave themselves to this for so long and who were letting things go. As I was talking to, to my friend on Saturday, it was Lenny. I don't think he would mind if I told him. I was talking to Len. I could just see heartbreak in his eyes. Because he's going, God, this is your body. This is your church. These are your people. How do we beat this thing? It's real easy. Job explains it. Humility. 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 I do this all the time and I've just recently had to stop myself because I realized how not helpful it is. Often it's in the shower and I'm sure a lot of you do the same thing where you have these arguments in your head where you tell the guy or the gal, you show them. You've got the shampoo and the conditioner bottle sitting there and you're like, yeah, this is what I would have said in that conversation. Take this. When you did that to me, imagine if oh, I said this because I'm right in that, because I'm the guy. I know all the bits and pieces I know what this should look like I know how this should go and just recently I was doing that I was having a a conversation in my head audience one and I was winning I'll give you the hot tip I was checkmating, I was telling this person just what I thought and I felt God say this is not helpful this is not helping you you're just rolling your pride up Rolling it up. You're the guy. Oh my like, God, you're supposed to love me. You're supposed to encourage me. And all of a sudden, I've got to start to pray for this guy. Because God says, pray. Pray for those who are hurting you. Why? Because it breaks down your pride to show that you're not the guy. God is. You're not the gal. God is. And like joy, we get to a place where we say, Lord, come. God, come. Come and take this from me. It's too hard to be the best all the time. Anytime. It's too hard to maintain being the guy in the know, being the guy who's at the top of the list. It's too hard to do that. That's why God doesn't ask us to do it. It's too hard being right all the time. But we have to make a change to break that thing off our life. We have to make a change to say, no more, God, I will not continue to stand in this. I know who you are, and I know who you said you are. Dave said something last week that hit the nail on the head for me, and it was explaining this. He said, "When you're upset with the with the system, fix you, and then the system can be fixed." Can me tissue, When you're upset, oh, thank you. When you're upset with the system, fix you, and then the system can be fixed. I'm not talking about a Sunday morning. I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about every area of your life. The first thing we do, the first thing we do, is we justify and explain to protect ourselves. It's a defense mechanism. We just did 12 weeks pre-marriage counseling with a couple, not from here, some friends of ours. And we're sitting across the table, and I said, I said to both of them, I said, in your marriage, if you can do this, you'll have a good marriage. The moment you think you're right, stop yourself. The moment you think your, your spouse has done something wrong, stop yourself. And go, what could have I done differently? What could have I done better? Why? Because you start to work out the pride that's trying to wreck and pull apart your life, pull apart your marriage, pull apart your family unit. Because we always want to be, no, I did all the right things. And what we started to say for a long time in the church was, don't let people walk all over you. What? What does that mean? Jesus is hanging on the cross and they're yelling. They're yelling slander at him. They're calling him for everything. What, God, what Jesus should have done right there is say, Lord, burn all these guys. These guys, get rid of all of them. That's the right thing to do, Jesus. Don't let them walk all over you. Don't let those guys walk all over you. Instead, right in that moment with his hands on the cross, he looks out at them. He says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. That's humility. That's what it looks like to say, God, I don't know what this looks like. But I trust you. I'm going to walk with you. A friend of mine in India, Jeeva, during the week, he messaged me. He said, Ben, I need you to pray. Can you pray as a friend of mine who's very sick? And I need you to pray for him. So said, Jeeva, tell me about your friend. What's happening? He says, my friend got sick. He has diabetes and he's, he's got sick and his legs, he can't get treatment to his legs, so his legs have started to, to go gangrene and rot. And his family, because it, it smelt so bad, his family kicked him out of home. And I said, Jeeva, so what have you done for this man? He said, I, I just did what I thought God would do. We brought him to live with us. He sends me photos. I nearly fell off my chair when I saw the photos. I was like, that is horrendous. I said, how's it going? He says, it's really hard to live at home because he smells so bad, but I know Jesus loves him. I was like, what? What? You brought a man into your home who has gangrene and is rotting at the legs because you thought Jesus loved him and somebody needed to help him. How's that for uncomfortable? How is that for, I don't know this guy, but I'm just going to bring him into my home because I know Jesus loves him and I'm going to pray for him. And they change his dressings every day. They look after him. He owes them nothing. Jiva owes this man nothing. But because of the heart of God, because of humility, I just got to do what God wants me to do. Right there on the chair, I came up with 500 reasons as to why I shouldn't have brought him into my home. I, would, I need to look after my family. Um, I don't know if I can afford it. It's going to make it hard to stay at home. I don't know if I'm going to get good enough sleep to be able to work. All these ideas came into my head as to why I can't help this guy. Jeeva doesn't bat an eyelid. Come, let me help you. Jesus, when he walks through the city streets, every time... Someone reached out their hand and touched him. He was at risk of being in a lot of trouble because of the Jewish system. He didn't care. Why? Because I love you. Because it's, it's I want to help you. At the end of myself, I want to help you. God took me to this verse, Matthew 17, 12, verse 14. I've read this verse so many times. I've used this verse so many times, I think I've used it wrongly, because the way I saw it when I was sitting at my desk, this time, challenged me. Matthew 17:12 verse 14 says this: "So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the low, sorry, this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy." That leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. I didn't expect to cry this much when I was thinking through this sermon, to be honest. But that worship just led us to a place where I was sitting there and I was thinking, we were singing, I said to Coco, we were singing, You are good, you are good. You were good. And this thought dropped into my head, and it's not the exciting thought that I thought would have gone into my head, but I felt like, and I I think it was God. I don't know. I'm not saying thus say the Lord, but I, I think that God was revealing something. And my thought was, what if he wasn't? What if he wasn't? Would I still be willing to worship him, knowing exactly who he is, if I didn't get the direct link to goodness? that I think I want or need. Because there's got to be a time during Job's story where he's sitting there going, I don't know if God's good. I don't don't know. It doesn't seem like it at the moment. It doesn't seem like it. But I'm going to worship him. I love it. God is good. I promise you that. God is is good. He is good. He is good. He is good. But when we bring ourselves to worship God only because he's good, guess what? We're operating out of that place where it's about me. And the moment I start to not feel like he's good, guess what ceases? My worship of him. Because it's not about how worthy he is. It's not about who he is. It's about I'm getting some goodies. And if I'm getting my goodies, then I will worship you, God. But if we can bring our place ourselves to a place where we say, God, you are so worthy. You are, so, you are everything that you said you are. You are the Alpha and the Omega. In a moment, I can be gone, yet you don't, and you love us. And for that, I, I just worship you and I glorify you. Then in the moments when it's hard, in the moments that you don't feel like he's good, in the moments that you don't feel like something's happening, you never cease to worship because it wasn't about that in the first place. It was about his deity. It was about his bigness. It was about his worthy, the fact that he wears a crown. When we bring ourselves to that place, we understand this verse, that whatever you wish the others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. I always thought this was talking about salvation. I always thought it was talking about salvation. Because that was the way that we read it. That was the way that, that I understood. But if you, if you look at this verse, it's Jesus speaking on the, on the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus going through how to live as a believer. It's going through explaining day by day steps of a Christian, someone who follows Christ. And if you read the next verse in context with that verse, you start to realize, I don't think this is talking about non-believers. This is talking about you and me. Every day, which gate are you going to operate through? Which gate are you going to walk in? Because guess what? The biggest one is the easiest one. And do you know why it's the easiest one? Because in most cases, it looks after ME. It looks after the letter that's not in team. That's why it's so easy to walk through. That's why people, Go from place to place to place to place, from friendship to friendship, from circle to circle, because I don't want to be put out. So if I feel uncomfortable, I'm going to move on. I've done that. I still do that. I still look and go, what's going to be the best for me? What's going to be the best thing that's going to look after me? When can I set a meeting that's going to fit best my schedule? Because then I don't have to be out late, or I don't have to this, or I don't have to that. All these things quietly creep in and nestle in and hold a hook in our life. And when Job says there's a monster that we're fighting and you can't beat him by spears or a hook to the nose, you can't remove the creature except by operating in a place of humility. Why? Because it breaks pride and it removes the hook that's in our life. I know that it's relatively silent because this is difficult to hear. It's difficult for me to read. It was difficult for me to write. But we've got to get this. We've got to get this. Because I believe so truly, I believe so strongly that this move that people keep talking about, this, this pouring of God, this move of the Spirit, this, this falling of His glory amongst the people starts when we come to the end of ourselves. It starts when we decide it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about you, God. It's about your glory. So Jesus stands, this word here, um, the word narrow, the gate that we're to walk through, it means covenant or to abide. A Greek word, histami, means a covenant or to abide. The narrow gate is the covenant by which we've walked in with Christ. That's how we operate. We operate by fulfilling the covenant by which Christ has given us, by standing in the place that God has put us. He's highlighting this is not going to be easy. This is not going to be easy. The journey with God is not an easy journey. But it's that that makes it so much worthwhile. It's that finding that narrow gate to walk through that makes it so much worthwhile. The seeking of Him never stops. It never, ever stops. It's like when you watch a son build something with their dad and each step, they're like, Dad, is this right? Like you can't, I'm not a father, but I, I I watched this with a friend of mine. You can't just say, do these steps one through 30, then we'll come back. It's step by step. Is this right? Yes, drill that. Okay. Dad, is this next step, is this right? Yes, move that over there. Okay, is this is this is this right? That's what God wants us to be doing. Constantly looking to Him, God, is this right? Yeah, do that. Okay. Hey God, yeah, okay. Hey God, is this? Yeah, okay. Why? Because that's what He wants to do. That's communion with the Father. That's understanding relationship. That's walking through, is this the right gate? Walk through it, walk through it, walk through it. Stay on that life with him. Stay in that place where I go, God, no matter how uncomfortable, no matter how challenging, no matter how tired, no matter how smelly the guy's legs, no matter how hard it is to do this, Lord, I will not stop because you told me that this is what I should do. Like Job, everything else is gone, but I'll give you my shirt. Everything else is gone, but i will rip off everything that I have left. I want to finish with this, and then we can go back into worship. I want to finish with this because it's so important. And I heard, I heard a um, a very good uh, apostolic teacher speaking about this, and I just. I want to highlight it for us because I think it's so it's so um, pertinent. I don't have another word important for the time we're in right now. But it's this verse in Nehemiah. If you if you go and look at Nehemiah, Nehemiah goes on this journey. He's heartbroken by the fact that the city walls have been burnt down. He's he's absolutely torn apart by the fact that there's nothing left. And he he. He asks the king, can I go? Would you go and send me to to help rebuild my city? And the king says, yes, I can. And at the very beginning, there's two people who come who are upset with the fact that Nehemiah can go back and rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the kingdom for for the understanding of the picture. There's two people, Tobiah and Sanballat. And Tobiah and Sanballat, both of these people, dislike the fact that Nehemiah is going to go back and rebuild the city walls. He's upset. They're upset with the fact that that this happens. And if you fast through and you go through the story, there's so much in Nehemiah. But Nehemiah rebuilds the walls and he brings a a priest in to to do the the things that God's asked him to do, to set up the temple and to do the, the sacrifice and the worship. He brings a priest in. And Nehemiah has to go back to report to the king. So the walls have been built. The city's been put back together. And Nehemiah goes back to report to the king. And while Nehemiah is out, this happens in Nehemiah 13, 3, verse 8. It says, As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now before this, Elashib, the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of God and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributors for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. Nehemiah speaking, I was not there, for in the thirty-second, sorry, in the thirty-second year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king, and after some time, I asked. Leave of the king and came to Jerusalem, and I discovered the evil that Elishaib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God, and I was very angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. What does that have to do with right now? It's incredibly prophetic of where we are as a people. Nehemiah builds the wall. He puts back the kingdom of God. He puts back in place everything. He puts it all back together. He has a um, all, all of the things put in place. He puts a priest in to, to run all the, the sacrifices and to understand they have a they have a room where they put all of the tithes and offerings, all the sacrifice that they would give to God, all goes in this room. All the sacrifice to God. The moment Nehemiah leaves, the priest removes the sacrifice. And he puts in Tobiah, the enemy of, the, of God. The enemy of Nehemiah rests in the place of sacrifice. guy who was reading this through, he said, Anytime there is absence of sacrifice, there is an invitation for the any enemy to occupy. Anytime there is an absence of sacrifice, there is an invitation for the enemy to occupy. What happened was it was that in the city they decided we're not going to give these things to God anymore. And the moment they stopped giving those things to God, the enemy crept in and took root right in the house of where there should have been blessing outpouring. It's not just talking about your time or your money. It's talking about all of it. The moment we withhold our sacrifice to God, the moment we withhold worshipping and praising Him and glorifying His name, giving ourselves to Him, guess what comes in and fills the place? The enemy takes root in our heart, takes root in the place that's supposed to be given unto God. That's what Nehemiah is saying. The moment we emptied the storehouses of sacrifice to God, the enemy creeps in and takes hold. And pride sets in. Because now it's no longer about God, it's all about me. Because the enemy's sitting in there telling you over and over and over. The enemy wanted to live where there was sacrifice to God. That's a sobering thing to think about. Because the areas of our life that we cease giving to God, we fill it with something else. And that something else is not the thing we want rooted in our life. It's not the thing we want taking control and making decisions and allowing us to go somewhere. God is asking us in this time, like Job, to continue to give ourselves to him. As challenging as this time is, as difficult as it is to see past ourselves, to see past who we are and what I need and what I want and my time and and my this and my that, God's asking us, come away with me, give that sacrifice again and I will, like Nehemiah did, I will remove all the furniture of the enemy. I'll remove everything from that place if you fill it with my sacrifice again. God is asking us, Will you take the furniture of the enemy and remove it and let me fill that place with worship and sacrifice for me? If Job can walk through what he did without being the victim, how much more can we operate in our own lives without being the victim? We stand in a place Job didn't understand. We stand in a place Job hadn't seen yet. We know God is good. We've seen it time and time and time again. We know the promises God's given us. That's the place we come and worship from. We know those things. How much more can we give ourselves to God like Job did? How much more can we stand in this beautiful Western country with an incredible uh, atmosphere around us, with the freedoms that we operate in, with all the goodness that we have? How much more? Can we be in that place to worship? I was talking to Mao before the service and and I've read, he was telling me about it and I've read it at some point as well, that there was a a, a Chinese uh, church leader in the middle of China during um, earlier persecution and they came out of the persecution and he said, what was the worst thing that happened to the church? He said, real simple, freedom. He said, when we came from underground to the freedom to meet again, people stopped giving themselves to God. People stopped worshipping. Because they felt they didn't need to. They didn't feel like they needed to in that place. He says the moment we go back underground, there's this desire, this need. God, we need you. We need to know who you are. We need to understand you. Imagine if, if a nation like Australia could understand that level of worship in a freedom that we have right now. Imagine how on fire this nation would be, how many people would be able to come into more and more and more freedom. As Christians, when we leave our bad life behind that was holding us back and we come into the freedom of God, We get this, ooh, it's nice in here. And we worship for a while because we remember our old life, but then we become complacent and we go, well, I'm free. And we empty the storehouse of sacrifice and the enemy creeps in. I want to ask you this morning, this afternoon, whenever you're listening to this, Will you empty that house, that storehouse? Will you allow God to take all the furniture of Tobiah, take all the mess the enemies put in there, and will you replace it with, with the sacrifice to him? It's not easy. It's not easy. But if I promise, in all that you are, give God a hundred years. Just a hundred. isn't that much. I'd like it, but it's not that much. 100 years. Give him your life. This side of eternity. Think about everyone else for 100 years. Let him bring you into the fullness. I want to read this verse, then we're just going to go back into worship. Zephaniah 3, 9, verse 9 to 13. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day, you shall not be put to shame, because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exalted ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down and none shall make them afraid. I will remove from your midst your proudly exalted ones, and you shall no longer, no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. No longer be haughty in my holy mountain. I've preached before about going up the mountain of the Lord that standing on that place to worship and glorify Him. that from that place is where we see the power of God move. From that place is where we see the kingdom open and operate. But You can't get up that mountain when you're only thinking about me, when I'm only thinking about myself and what I need. He says no longer will we be haughty in the mountain of the Lord to think about oneself, to operate from a place that's all about me. We have to lay ourselves down. When you entered into the kingdom of God, you entered on this basis. Give yourself over. Die to yourself. And rise again alive in me. Rise again alive in my understanding, my ways, my purposes. And I'll give you the nations. I'll show you what it looks like to operate as a priest and an heir to the things that I have for you. So my challenge to all of us, myself included, is God, I don't want to be removed because of my pride. I don't want to remove myself because I can't see past my own self. God, I don't want to be removed from your presence because because I'm too worried about what's going to happen for me. Lord, I want to be with you in whatever it looks like, whatever whatever it is to lay down of myself. It's not about me. Lord, it's never been about me. It's about you and who you are and your glory, your fullness. Will you empty that place? Will you empty the room that's been filled? And will you you replace it with sacrifice? Will you replace it with sacrifice? Ask God, what does it look like? For some of us, it's going to mean waking up early it's going to mean calling that guy it's going to mean doing something we don't want to do it's going to mean serving in an area we don't want to serve it's going to mean things that we don't think it looks like but when God starts to reveal it we say yes God regardless of how outputting that is regardless of how upsetting that is yes I will come so why don't you stand I'm just going to ask and Coco just to lead us back into worship This is something what I've just brought. I hope it was helpful. It's challenging. Go home. Chew on it. Let it roll around in your your heart. Ask God to reveal it. Go back and read those verses. Read what it is God is revealing in that that place. But operating in, in humility is not is not one prayer that someone comes and does and then it's all over taking down this creature that that Job is speaking about is not one prayer and it's done it's a lifestyle that we walk in it's a lifestyle of sacrifice to give myself over every day I have to do it every day I have to wake up so we're going to go back into worship but if you want to come forward if you want us to come and pray to break something then I, I will do that I will stand with you as long as it needs. But when you go from this place, when you leave this morning, you are going to be challenged. If you are open this morning to receiving this message, if your hands are open to receive this, when you go from this place, you are going to be challenged. Why? Because God's actually asking us to do something, not just to have the words so during the week I want I want to challenge you. Keep praying. Keep fighting. Ask God reveal it more to me. How do I how do I how do I remove this thing from my life? How do I remove this understanding of of pride and selfishness? How do I remove it from my life? And as he starts to reveal things, you have to be ready to go, okay, God, that's real uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it. Why don't you just if if you feel comfortable, just open your hands do that as a a posture of receiving to say God I, I, I want this Jesus we just come before you right now Lord myself included like David Lord we ask for you to search our hearts for the pride for the exaltation of ourself above you God, and I ask that you come and remove it from us. Reveal to us, Lord, throughout our week, in our marriages, in our workplaces, in our parenting, in our friendships. God, reveal the areas that we're being prideful. Reveal the areas, God, where we're not operating in the humility you're asking us to operate, in the full, unconditional love that you're asking us to operate. Give us strength to understand love the way you know love. Open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of our heart. Let us see it the way you see it, Lord. to you, Jesus, you are holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. I break that right now. The spirit of pride right now in Jesus' name I break. I plead your blood Lord to wash us clean. We break that thing off. that you've given us Jesus we break that thing right now in your name Lord over the Gold Coast I break that spirit of pride right now Jesus in your name Holy Spirit we ask that you just begin to walk and flow through us to reveal your goodness in your heart you are the King of Kings the Lord of Lords God we worship you we honor you and we glorify your name have your way in our lives let your glory come let your glory come jesus holy